Hello, this is Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on the world of property supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. We're live every Sunday at 10am, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn and our website propertymatterstv.co.uk. If you're watching on the website, don't forget that Google review. And if you're in social media today watching us, then please get in the conversation below in the comments section. Our email address for any suggested topics is hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. If you don't have time to watch us live every Sunday, you can get us on the move with a podcast. Uh, you can get that from wherever you get your podcasts from. The main providers over on the other side of the screen. And of course, we're live on Dilse Radio across the week as well. So let's welcome our property expert, Joe Joshi. Morning, Joe. Good morning, Good morning, good morning, Paul. Good morning to our viewers and listeners, uh, wherever you are. Um, the question I wanted to ask you today, and it seems to be uh, all over the media suddenly, and there's been a change of mood. Are we on the verge of a property boom is the question we're talking about this morning. As we reported last week, buyer demand is running 11% higher than this time last year. The value of a flat is, I think we reported last week, is 13% higher than in 2016. And the average house price is actually 33% higher and up to 50% higher in Wales since 2016. So lots of stuff is coming out saying that we're having a boom time. But I think there's a slight um, anomaly in these figures in the sense that they're comparing it to last year. And of course, this time last year, we were looking at interest rates being hiked and hiked and hiked and hiked, more rate rises on the way. And therefore, it was a pretty low base to be starting from. I think that's probably a fair comment, isn't it, Joe? Yeah, I mean, last year was a bit of a bloodbath for the property market, really, with the interest rates just creeping up on a monthly basis, uh, cost of living, cost of uh, utilities going up. It just wasn't uh, a place to be. Um, and yes, there, be, there seems to be a lot of positive vibes right now in the property market. Of course, you know, as cynical as one doesn't want to be, it is obviously due to the fact that uh, it's election year and, uh, uh, you know, all the goodies are going to be in. I've been saying that for, for since last year that I was expecting in autumn for them to take a lead um, from the political world to sort of say, look, you know, we're, we're, we're the right people to do it. But for some reason, um, they didn't. And mostly that was down to the, I think, the inflation figures. But uh, yeah, generally, it was, it's, it's probably a poor comparison. And I say that time and time again, that it's always a comparison of short term, but people have to remember that since 2018, 2019, 2019, 2020, when pandemic years were in, the market actually went up by 25% uh, in, in values. And though there might be a reflection now in the immediate year, that there might be a downturn or a correction of 5%, of course, the media loves anything that's down because bad news sells great. Um, and that's really what's been happening over the last year. But it's, yes, it certainly seems to be a, a positive vibe in the marketplace. Well, of course, we're 17 days away now, as I speak, from a spring budget when Jeremy Hunt will stand up and uh, uh, basically introduce new incentives, we're reliably informed, to boost the housing market activity uh, and in a desperate attempt to get our votes, of course. Uh, according to Countrywide Surveying Services, they asked 300 property professionals on a recent webinar, what do you most want to see from the Chancellor in the March budget? 35% of respondents replied with help to buy scheme or something similar to support new home builds and also first time buyers. 22% wanted a stamp duty holiday or reduction. 17% opted for an inheritance tax cut and 16% chose of course stamp duty changes for downsizers in particular. 10% elected for additional landlord support. In your view, Joe, what do you think is gonna be in there? 
Um, well, I, I, I de definitely think um, the help to buy scheme was, has been on the cards um, to come back again because it's due to um, finish this year. And I think they're going to basically rekindle that to say, look, it was a roaring success. It also helps the new builders, new build uh, builders um, to get them back on the market and, and building again. Um, and that's probably the, the number one thing that they will actually look at. I think they may even bring that sort of either 100% or 99% mortgage that they talked about a little while ago. Um, so these are incentives that will obviously get the first time buyers, which are very, very crucial to the whole system in um, the housing market. Without the first time buyers um, at the first run of the ladder, the, the rest of the thing is a bit like a deck of cards. It just doesn't move until they're... Of course, there's the investment one, but they killed most of the investment people off uh, with taxation and stamp duty and all sorts of other things, which again, I think is coming to bite, bite them on the bottom. Uh, because they're realizing that the amount of rental properties have just gone down drastically because people want to get out of that. Um, and that is now making the government suffer. But that's a separate subject. I'm sure we'll, we'll cover that in a short while. But the point is that, uh, you know, they are going to try and um, revitalize the housing market the best they can. Yeah, it's interesting that 41% said there was cause for optimism in the following 12 months, um, or either definitely cause or possibly cause. 13% said they were unsure. 5% said there was probably not any cause for optimism, but no one said there was definitely no cause for optimism over the next 12 months. So interesting to see that there's quite a bit of positivity in the industry itself. Positivity in itself is good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is there is uh, positivity uh, across the board. Um, and there has to be. I mean, the market is is in a positive position. Look, the interest rates have kind of come to a bit of a halt. I can't, I know everybody has a wish and a dream that they're going to go backwards. I don't believe that they're going to go back a great deal. If they did, the Bank of England might knock off a quarter of a percent to, to, to make it look good. The interest rates that are dropping are first-time buyer packages with mortgage lenders. They are offering them, um, I'm seeing sort of three and a half fixed for three to five years, 4%, 5% and so forth, so that first-time buyers can come on the market, but the base rate isn't really being affected. There's a huge underlining of property possessions hanging around due to courts of, of people that weren't able to do that. So that, that probably hasn't hit the market in the uh, purely because the courts are so far behind in, uh, in dealing with those those aspects of it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there is optimism and there has to be optimism. They've got to drum up optimism, especially with all that are going wrong at this moment in time, especially for the current incumbent govern, government. Last week's figures um, on the two uh, by-elections didn't help, um, you know, in, in the grand scheme. So they've got to try and turn the course of this ship round a bit quicker than they think in a very short space of time. So the worry is, you know, what, what will happen with that? Um, and my, my concerns are that whatever they're throwing out now, to a large extent, Paul, I think it's a bit too late. They should have done it um, as predicted by, you know, me and us and our discussion in the autumn budget. So they had some run up to this. Um, and now it's, it's, it's almost a bit too late, a little too little. Yeah, this upcoming budget has the potential to have a major influence on the housing and mortgage markets. And it will be interesting to see what, if any, of these measures actually come into fruition. But the point being that 
they're right. You know, that, that observation that this budget, this um, spring budget, is going to have a huge effect on how the property market fares over the next 12 months. And, of course, you could argue that they're sitting down saying, right, what do we need to put in that's going to win us votes, rather than what do we need to put in that's going to help the housing market? <laughs> and that's always been the problem, isn't it? Because, you know, not necessarily does a politician have the best interests of the uh, actual house purchasers or owners, they have the interests of voters at their heart. Yes, um, interesting that um, it is short term, Paul, that's, that's my concern, it's the short term measures. And as I have said before, that the, every government, any government has always used the property market as a yo-yo. They, they sort of use it and abuse it. They think, well, this will help us, so we'll drop interest rates, or this will help us, we'll drop stamp duty, or we'll challenge this. But we know that a housing market is very important to the residents of the United Kingdom. It is something that everybody targets to. Their wish and want is to ultimately own their own home and potentially maybe even just rent their own home and be independent. And having the rental market as well as it's doing, it's going gaga, the rents are going through the roof. All of those things have an effect. So anything that they will do, they will do here, not so much for, I believe, the housing market, more so for the political reasons. But of course, any short term is always a gain for the housing market because people want to jump in on it very quickly and say, right, I, I want to lock that deal in and, 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 and basically use that uh, this, this opportunity for the government's perhaps um, short givings for us now as a personal, as, a, 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 as a, a, a good thing so that they can go out there and lock in a new deal or try and exchange it. And that is probably the only other uh, fly in the ointment is the time it takes for the deal to actually be sealed because the process in the conveyancing system is so archaic that somebody could think okay I've got six months to do this it could take over six months for a transaction to even get there so it's always about timing. Russell Quirk is a commentator that we've often mentioned on this show and uh, he has an interesting piece he's written this week. He talks about the buoyancy in the market being a combination of 10 factors and, and they, these are them. Uh, inflation has largely been tamed. Interest rates have, the rate, the rises have ceased. Swap rates and the benchmark for, which is the benchmark for fixed mortgage rates have settled down-ish. Uh, unemployment has remained below 5% despite significant economic challenges. Doomsayers in the media and so on have uh, stopped um, being a bit uh, uh, apocalyptic, I think is the word he used. The media have stopped fueling the consumer and negative stories around house prices. Uh, the resulting pent-up demand from last year's fence-sitters is now translating into activity as a result. Uh, there's always a shortage of property versus demand, and some feel the forthcoming general election will bring about positive change. And, of course bribes in a uh, spring budget, as he put it, or what is commonly known as political policy announcements. So, But it is interesting, isn't it? Actually, when you look at those 10 factors, we do have a more calm situation than a year ago. And there is perhaps the perception that actually it may not be so bad if we take the dip and plunge now. Yes, I mean, look, Russell Quirk is... Um, is a regular commentator and um you know sometimes i think he uh, will shoot from the hip it's a bit like me really just says it as he sees it and i think um he's right to say that uh, uh there has been a little bit of a uh, veto on on the negative housing market at the moment from the media primarily because they've got plenty of other things to get their teeth into across the world um 
and so they're leaving leaving the housing market uh, in the home front equally it is important for the government as we know to make whatever they can with the home front and offer the best deals or, or the bribes that they think they they want to offer for people to sort of um, give them votes and potentially utilize those things to maximize their chance to buy or, or rent a home that they want to do so all of those things are are right and but in my personal opinion i just think that it's a bit late in the game for them i think they should have done that in the autumn market so they would have at least had a run but i think because of the um uh, cost of living and of course the inflation they just were not going to fuel that until they got to a point where they are and uh, where they're still you know two percent away from their target figure of two percent around four percent at the moment um which i'm sure mysteriously and magically will probably drop to around two two and a half percent um as we get closer to the election time um to show that they've done and of course all the commentators that i've listened to have all been saying that you know what they're saying is working or what they're doing is working well yes and no it is working because people did suffer last year tremendously um, but this year, you know, they will look at what, who, who's going to get elected and who's going to come in. And of course, you know, none of them really are offering a great deal. I suppose sometimes it's better the, better the devil you know, but uh, the public are, are, are really giving an opinion. They, they just, just want to change, I think, more for the sake of the change rather than actually um, the reason for the change. So I think the government and, of course, the property market itself um i'm going to try and motivate it as much as they can and it is it is there's positive vibes um across the board um and to be honest with you property has never not had in my opinion positive vibes i mean pretty much every other person that i speak to is always positive about what they are i mean of course you know the investors like to talk it down because they are investors that's that's what they do they invest in property and they are waiting for a 5 10 15 20 percent drop so they can jump in cash is king um, and we know that from um, the results of some of the auction uh, sales that are going on across the board. In some some cases, where they are, and, and that they are all price points. They are all price positive. If the price is not right, um, we know that we don't get the right reaction for it. And the reason, mostly, that is the case is that's what the seller has to try and achieve to get out of the situation that they are in as well. So it's all price driven, and it's certainly positive in the marketplace. Well, Mr. Quirk reckons there's going to be more money for new homes again. Um, also, probably a cut in income tax basic rate, which is an old um, Thatcher favourite, wasn't it? Uh, also, an increase in the, uh, or an increase in the tax threshold instead, uh, which amounts to the same thing broadly for, for, for lower age earners, I guess. Uh, earners, I guess. Uh, and also, he thinks a tweak to stamp duty. And he makes the point that stamp duty currently warms the Treasury's cockles to the extent of 15 billion annually. That's up 200% from 5 billion in 2010. So it's tripled in 15, 14 years, which is quite something. Uh, he reckons that inheritance tax won't be touched because, in his words, <laughs> that benefits the wealthy. And uh, you wouldn't want to touch that if you're a Conservative. <laughs> which I thought was an interesting <laughs> comment. Um, uh, he said, but uh, so the housing market looks like it could be in pretty good shape by the end of the year. Uh, and then he talks about Sunak Hunt and Gove, which is the pompous sounding law firm that you never want to hire. 
<laughs> um, but he says that what they're about to do, though, if they do all of these measures, they're going to throw fuel on the fire. But if they then add in this 1% deposit mortgage scheme that's being talked about, it'll yeah. positively go nuclear. And I think he's got a point there. You see, the thing is, if you make it all about being able to buy a house when you haven't got any savings or any, or any skin in the game, if you like, any equity, then there is going to be um, difficulties when things turn the other way, surely. Well, the problem with that is, um, and I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with all of um, Russell's comment, what I'm saying is throwing perhaps a little bit of caution to the wind here, is that, yes, the 99% mortgage, 100%, we've been there, um, and people will jump on that in, in a heartbeat to try and get that, and why not? But what really stops them is affordability. It's the affordability calculator that's going to throw that right out. So in a headline, you know, a 99% mortgage, 100% mortgage is available is a great headline. But if you go to get that 100%, 99% mortgage, then it is your affordability aspect that is now going to be the stress test that then throws that chance out. So you might think, okay, well, let's say I can go and buy a 300,000 pound house now. And that affordability might take you down to £200,000. So you might want to still buy, but you weren't going to be, not going to buy what you thought you were going to buy because you had not to find that deposit. So there will be some sort of explosion uh, in the marketplace, uh, albeit at, at the stock. The biggest thing I think with that is, Paul, not just the new homes, but the, the fact that the 100% or the 99% may reflect. So the difference between the help to buy scheme the help to buy scheme was fundamentally targeted at new builds um, so that the developer had a part to play. The 99% mortgage is the mortgage that perhaps opens the door for the secondhand sales um, because obviously it's a mortgage based on your income, your, 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 um, um, your, your, your circumstances. So therefore, they might just say, okay, well, you can afford it, but that allows them to move and buy in other areas other than perhaps just where the pocket areas are for uh, new developers. So as a combination, I, I think there could be an explosion. Well, we say good morning to Guy Charison, who's just uh, come in on Facebook saying good morning, gents. So good morning to Guy. That's nice to have you on. And uh, yeah. as always, to see your comments. Um, moving on to our second story today, uh, we're talking about uh, Housing Secretary Michael Gove, who said on um, last Sunday, in fact, that he was going to make sure that we definitely got the Section 21 evictions outlawed by the next general election. Uh, this, of course, was a 2019 manifesto pledge from the Conservative Party, uh, and that was going to end the right of landlords to evict tenants without needing a reason. However, the legislation has been continuously delayed, as we know, leading housing campaigners to question the government's commitment. But what I thought was interesting that they mentioned here, because you've often said this about how many uh, politicians are actually house owners, or landlords rather, um, and uh, I should imagine quite a few of them are house owners, but whether they're landlords or not, of course, is a different issue. But one in five of the uh, Tory party are actually landlords themselves. So they will personally see the issues that this will bring. And I think that's why he's having a devil's own job getting it through his own party. I, I'm not at, at all surprised at that. Um, I've always said and felt that um, this Section 21 and, and its abolition is probably a bloodbath um, 
And what it really needs is probably a Section 21A. Um, in other words, there's some small tweaks that need to happen uh, in order to, you know, um, bring it into in, in line. But broadly speaking, it's a case of fixing something that really isn't broke. And uh, their pledge in 2019 about this has just cost lots and lots of money, lots of debates, lots of things. And we're coming to an election and they haven't actually got it through. And you may remember I said that the, the problem is Michael Gove is probably not a landlord, so he doesn't have skin in the game. He just thinks that this is the noise that the tenants are making, that we're being mistreated. And so he's decided to jump on the on the bandwagon to try and sort of say, well, I think I should support it. But rightly so, here we are, um, predicted as correct, that they, uh, some of the Tory MPs are all uh, some sort of uh, landlords. They've got portfolios of properties themselves or within their family or their family structure. Um, and realize that you know that it's it's not going to work as well as it should do now it is it's a drastic change and it's very much weighed in favor of the tenant and hence why in the last year alone the number of landlords that have decided to jump ship and get out of the rental market because the taxations are too high and the forthcoming abolition of the section 21 meant that they could end up having a tenant in their property way longer than they ever anticipated um, and creating more problems. Um, the system is so broke in that sense that if you rented a property to a council tenant, the council doesn't have, and, and, and the landlord says, I want you out because I want to sell it or I want to repair it, or basically you're a nuisance, I want you out. Under section 21, they give them their appropriate notice and they're off. If they bring in all this other rubbish that they want to talk about, then the landlord is stuck with that tenant until the court decides what is fair and what is not. In the meantime, that tenant could actually stop paying the rent and say, well, I've had a fallout with the, with the landlord. He's not doing X, Y, Z. I'm not going to pay the rent. So he's behind. They've got somebody sitting in there. So I just think the whole thing was a complete farce. Anyway, it doesn't make good sense from my point of view. And, um, and maybe majority of his people have now woken up and seen that it doesn't make sense as well. Well, the figures are almost one in five uh, Tory MPs are, um, are, are landlords and there's quite a lot across all the other parties as well as you might imagine. Um, but what I think is the biggest concern that people have, uh, certainly politicians that are speaking out, um, um, is, is about the ability to get this stuff through the courts. They're not convinced that the infrastructure is in place yet and the money hasn't been given to the courts, although in his comments last week, Gove did say that he would put the money into the courts before it was actually um, law. But we'll see about that, I guess. But the long and short of it is that they're not convinced that the system is set up sufficiently to deal with it. And in fact, I read stories now of landlords who've got uh, antisocial tenants in there and the neighbours are petrified of their tenants. Um, and they can't get them out. And, you know, they go to a court even with six, six, Section 21 and it can be six weeks or more before their case comes to court. Oh, yes. Like I said, the court system is so behind. And that's why even if they got to court, um, you know, for one reason or another, the court will say, well, we'll we will adjourn this because of this document or that document um, is not there. So you imagine that currently in Section 21, and then imagine that with a new idea of this this whole change, you'd be there forever waiting for the courts, and the courts just don't have the time 
and you know they haven't got the money and they just haven't got the facility to go through this the new um uh, and the new law that they want to bring in is um fundamentally based on communication so what the courts are saying that they would never have a, a case in front of them until and if it's absolutely the last resort they got to be seen to have cooperated email correspondence written correspondence and the time and energy and money that it takes just to do all of those things alone is going to be costly and if you've got a tenant in a property who is an unsavory tenant um, and then chooses not to pay the landlord is really at, at, at a wit's end because he's going to have to pay a mortgage and uh, as a mortgage got to be paid and landlord as a tenant doesn't pay the, the, the rent you know it, it causes nothing but friction and problems all around so I, I really don't feel that they've got this particular thing right at all yes uh, edward lee told mps that he's banning no fault eviction although the banning of no fault evictions will make rental market uh, uh, even more stagnant stagnant and will uh, lead to further drying up of it and uh, he makes the point that uh, uh, apart from the burden on the landlord, we don't want a situation like has happened in Ireland where the regulatory burdens on landlords are such that the rental sector has shrunk massively and governments have paid the price in terms of popularity as a result. Uh, he says it will have a disastrous effect on the area where his constituency is in reducing the number of rental properties and therefore increasing the price of rent and for youngsters that is really serious. So it's interesting there's been a situation in Ireland already which I wasn't aware of and it seems from what uh, Sir Edward Lee was saying is that that actually has led to uh, the fall of, uh, of parties in power. Well, and, and, and I've, I've harped on about it continuously in our program and said that because these people are not listening to what really is the problem, these landlords who are disappearing as landlords rapidly because of the policies of the government and because of the problems that even this reform um, and the Section 21 uh, uh, abolition is causing, they want to get out. They don't want to be holding a baby. They don't want to be holding a tenant um, who is unsavory in a property, not paying rent. Um, and so the government will end up being in the same situation as that happened in Ireland. Where will they put all these people? Well, they're not building enough houses, so they've got to start to put them. I mean, they're already suffering with Rwanda and, um, uh, you know, hotel bills. What are they going to do with these tenants? Are they going to send them to Rwanda to join in that massive thing? I mean, they might as well use the space some ways. It'd be a good holiday for them tenants as well. Um, go to Rwanda in a nice five-star luxury hotel that the government's paid for. I mean, that's kind of where it, it will go if they're not really careful. So, you know, maybe the answer is Rwanda. <laughs> Liberal Democrat Deputy Leader Daisy Cooper said that uh, the government has turned a blind eye to the housing crisis in this country. 16 housing ministers later, people are still facing the same problems. So just for the balance of, uh, <laughs> of comment. And also Angela Rayner said, uh, who's the Labour Shadow Housing Secretary, she said, these are yet more weasel words from Michael Gove after years of broken promises. So we'll leave that one there, but uh, all of this will come to, uh, to light over the next few weeks and months, I'm sure, as we head towards the election. Anyway, let's move on from uh, a sort of political flavour to something that's, I know, one of your favourite subjects. Joe, the Home Information Pack, which you loved unconditionally back in the day, thanks to... And, and, and your hero, Grant Shapps, got rid of them 
in 2010 yeah. or 12, I think it was. Forgive me, I've, I've lost the, the date. But but basically now we've got the Material Information Guide, which is coming back. It's 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 now in, in, um, in, in use, but it's not in force yet, and it's only a matter of time. But what uh, Rob Hailson is uh, is suggesting here in his article is that, and he was an exponent of uh, home information packs, what he's saying is that if we'd have stuck with it and actually got it right, we wouldn't be needing to introduce all this MIG, as it's now known, the Material Information Guide. He said the old HIP, as you rightly say, was next to useless, office copies and a, a file plan, a pretty useless property information questionnaire and a local and water drainage search. Uh, and no surprise that that didn't really uh, carry favour with anybody. However, some HIP providing companies were, by working closely with the seller's conveyancer, adding in additional documents whilst the property was still being marketed. For example, in his, when he was doing them, he would have a copy of documents containing restrictions, easements, rights and covenants. Um, and they were adding in guarantees, planning permissions and building regulation approvals. In fact, anything and everything that would help the transaction proceed quickly and easily. Many HIPs, as a result, became a exchange ready, as exchange-ready as possible. It therefore would not have been beyond difficulty to easily and quickly add other information, which is now going to be required by the MIG. And these will be in force at some point soon. So, interesting to see your response to all of that. I mean, I have to say, I think if the HIP had been, as Rob was suggesting, with all this other information, and it's almost exchange-ready when you hand it over, that, to me, just seems like a good idea. I don't disagree with that. I think that um, the HIP did have some um, benefits. However, what they put together and the time and energy and money that was wasted on it wasn't worth the paper it was written on. And that's why HIPs had to go. But nobody really thought about it. It was more of a marketing gimmick in my mind now than, than it was a actual practical, useful piece of paper file, time, whatever you want to call that. So that's why I was anti-HIPs and to a large extent probably still am until such times as they can actually make that document robust. You know, the problem is, the, the sim simple problem with HIPs, Paul, was this. If you were the solicitor that did it on behalf of the seller, the buyer solicitor just felt under their own insurance and indemnity and so forth, that they had to redo pretty much everything you did because they didn't believe you. So that was the waste of hips. You know, if there was a way that that was covered, most solicitors, most law firms are obviously obligated under their own insurance indemnity to make sure that they have done and taken time to do the due diligence on behalf of their client and therefore handing them a pack with you know the basics actually didn't do anything um and so no matter how much this concept of hips comes to light what they've got to take on board is the basics like the local searches the water searches and, and the standard um, land registry document that is obtainable what they don't and, and cannot deal with and it's always a matter of opinion and i'm sure guy will um back me on this it's always about the situation what one solicitor believes is correct it's a matter of opinion it's their opinion so take a um uh, a clause in there which might be about um some sort of restrictive covenant uh, that might exist a restrictive covenant may be an opinion of one solicitor that actually says this is the situation 
And yet the other one will say, well, actually, no, the words are saying this is a situation. And they, the, two, the two of them could spend a month going back and forward, ironing out what they believe or they, their view is on what is now a restrictive covenant or their translation or their understanding of that. And that's where the problem comes. So if you provide a ready pack and give it to a solicitor and you give them enough time to do with it, they will do a grand job in screwing up a potential deal just because it's their opinion. And that's where, um, when you're looking at, um, you know, legal packs provided for an auction term and contract, it's short and sharp. I'm not saying it's wrong. It just means that the time constraint that is given gives that solicitor the time to sort of say, look, I want to look at this as quickly as possible uh, for my clients because they've got to exchange it at a certain time. Because the rope is much longer in a private treaty, that rope can be elasticated and stretched longer than it can until such times it pings and it pings to the point it actually just contracts and breaks the deal. And that's, that's how I see it. And that's where the, the hips or the mink MIG, all of these things that they'll bring in will just get prolonged and, and stretched out until. Now, the MIG is simple in, in the sense that you've got to give material information of what is current. Well, it, it, to be honest with you, most of that is available. It's not something that we conjure up. It's not something that we've got to do as agents, but obviously it's been put onto, you know, onto, the, onto the agent's shoulders to say you've got to provide the rateable value, the rates, the, you know, the whatever those questions are in, in the MIG. Well, actually, the council can do that. Most of that stuff you can get online now. Um, and um, so it is available, but again, it's another red tape that is going to come into the market. Um, and I'm not sure that it's actually going to help us uh, speed the process. If anything, I think it will halt the process even more. Yeah, he says that um, the MIG, whatever it ended up being evolved into, has to work for all those concerned. That's the seller, the buyer, the agent, the conveyancer, and the surveyor. They've all got a, uh, there's got to be a purpose for it. So he's suggesting that the, the best thing that can happen right now before we get, uh, you know, 100% require, uh, compliance required, because at the moment, I think it's an optional thing, isn't it? You don't have to um, uh, submit. I don't think there's a penalties like there was when the HIP was in place. Um, but uh, with these MIGs, it's got to have the information that's going to be of benefit. Otherwise, like you say, it's going to be another white elephant. I think his frustration is that, you know, here we are what, 10, 15 years later and we're still discussing the same point. I mean, I think, I think the fact is that you cannot go through this process without having some kind of disclosure of information. Uh, and we've, we've realised that with so many property deals falling through because things came up down the lane, it would be much better to have that information right up front so you can make a decision before you, you, you waste everybody's time or we all waste each other's time. Yes, I mean, the idea is, is always good. To, and, I, and part of the reason why I think the um, process uh, under auction is, is really good because basically you give them the pack and they make an informed decision and they get on with it. Um, the problem here is the time that is given. So if you provide this, and, and you send it off. We had this with hips, Paul. When we had hips, we gave them a pack and they spent ages time. Now, why would one, I mean, I had this discussion at the time. One solicitor would say, well, actually, I've got to apply for the searches myself. And we're saying to them, well, here are the searches as part of the pack, we're giving them to you. Yeah, no, but we didn't do that. We've got to be the ones that got to do that. We not disbelieve them, but 
in order to protect ourselves, we must do it ourselves. So we then another six, eight weeks <coughs> looking for a search to be happened. So it was just a complete waste of time, which is why I was anti-hips at that time, and I'm probably going to be anti-hips forever. <laughs> and on that note, I think we'll leave it there for this week. Thank you so much, Joe, for all your thoughts and comments on those <laughs> stories. Hope they found they were of interest to you, and we'll join. Well, hopefully, you'll join us again for another uh, property matters very, very soon. <laughs>